You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. This is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health Podcast. We have Dr. Ted Belfort. We're going to be talking about the treatment of sleep and breathing disorders and uh, dental appliances that help with disorders such as this. All right. Well, Ted, thank you for coming to the call. I really appreciate you being here again. Uh, it's my pleasure. Yeah, I, um, I, I've spoken now to a number of people that talk about airway and sleep and health and you know, I still have my own issues, and uh, I wanted to see if we can really get down to the, uh, I guess, to the to a deep level on how to, I guess, possibly how to solve some some airway issues. And one one thing I wanted to ask about first, actually, that I'm finding to be a, a big issue is um, stuffy nose. You know, I've exp- I'm sure everyone's experienced it that listening. Um, you know, I've had a stuffy nose, and I've blown my <laughs> nose, and you know, I had stuff come out, and it cleared my nose temporarily, but I've also had times where my nose, for instance, was just swollen and nothing comes out and it's just swollen shut. And I've noticed when trying to sleep, um, if my nose is clogged or stuffed up or just swollen, it kills my sleep. You know, I'm forced to breathe through my mouth. I wake up sometimes dozens of times. My mouth is dry. And what I've heard a lot of people say is, oh, just clear your nose. But (laughs) I haven't really heard any great expertise on how you can clear your nose if you have a persistent problem. You know, how do you deal with that? So I don't know if you have any wisdom there. Do you do you deal with people or have you helped people that have like little a persistent stuffy nose for weeks, months, sometimes years? Like what, what do they do? Uh, I absolutely can uh, contribute. Um, I actually was invited and spoke at um, Montefiore Hospital uh, to the otolaryngological uh, department on uh, chronic bronchocytositis. Uh, particularly chronic rhinocytositis with polyps. So uh, first of all, chronic rhinocytositis, uh, more prescription for penicillin are written for chronic rhinocytositis than anything else in the country. So it's extremely common, just just like you indicated. And um, the ultimate causes are the ultimate causes for pretty much most of sleep and breathing uh, disorder, and that's a lack of our full craniofacial development. 
I call it craniofacial dystrophy, a lack of full craniofacial development. But let me explain how it works and what we can do about it. The way the body works, when we breathe in through our nose, and let's say we breathe in a bacteria or an, or a, um, um, an allergen or, or something the body doesn't like, particularly a bacteria, let's say, um, the body's first line of defense is actually uh, underrated and underexpressed because we just learned about it in 1998. The parasinuses, the sinuses that sit lateral to the nose and above and behind the nose generate a, a gaseous substance called nitric oxide. Mm. Nitric oxide is a potent antibacterial gas. And the way nature designed us, first of all, when we breathe in, the cilia, the little hairs on our nose, and the mucus trap the bacteria. But if we're breathing properly and the uh, bacteria manages to get into the nose, there are little openings from the parasinuses. The parasinuses are the maxillary sinus, the frontal sinus, the sphenoid sinus, and the ethmoid sinus, four sinuses. Those okay. opening, they all open into the nose, the nasal cavity. And that nitric oxide kills the bacteria and maintains the sterility in the sinuses. So what happens in chronic rhinositis? In chronic rhinositis, that system is not operational. And we'll go into why, but not at the moment. When the system is not operational, the body's first line of defense is the typical reaction immune system reaction, uh, which is known as the Th1 response, which is inflammation and white blood cells, which we're very familiar with, attacking uh, those bacteria. So the first step is the bacteria gets into the nose and we get inflammation. And along with inflammation is swelling. And this is where your nose gets stuffed up and you get full of mucus. But the sad story is when um, that lasts for 12 weeks or more, the body gives up on the inflammatory response. And we shift into a backup immune system. All of this happens because the nitric oxide is not capable of getting into the sinuses correctly. And that mainly is because we've evolved smaller jaws and the smaller jaws have smaller openings called ostea from the sinuses into the nose. And those smaller ostea, with any inflammation, they get closed off. Now, when you have this problem for 12 weeks or more and the Th1 immune system doesn't work, we now generate eosinophils, which allow the growth of polyps in the sinuses. The first thing we get is granulation tissue and pus. But then over time, with the production of eosinophils, which is part of the second line of defense, the sinus begins to grow polypoid tissue and can get filled up with polypoid tissue. Now you're really in bad shape and you get referred to the ENT doctor and he goes in there surgically, removes the polyps, but he does a lot more than that. 
they do a soft tissue ablation on the, on the turbinates. The turbinates are now all swollen. The turbinates are designed to warm and moisten the air. They have a purpose. But the surgeon goes in there and he shrink, he, he, uh, they, they, make the tur they reduce the turbinates. But most of all, they want the nitric oxide to get into the nose. So the surgeon actually yeah. removes a lot of bone. Yeah. You have a question? Yeah, I got two, two quick questions here. Yes. What's the uh, concentration typically of nitric oxide? Is it, is it expressed in parts per million? And what's the, the range? And <laughs> if you do have polyps, will they necessarily be visible? Or could you feel them if you put your finger in your nose? Or are they, are they tiny? Well, first of all, the polyps are not in the nose. They're in the sinus, in the maxillary sinus. That's the oh, big okay. sinus that's right next to the nose on either side of the nose. They fill up with the polypoid tissue. What happens in the other sinuses, you get inflammation uh, in the other sinuses, but the, the polyps actually grow in the maxillary sinus. Now, when the research was done on nitric oxide in relation as to what you're talking about, the concentration of nitric oxide, um, the only knowledge that I have is that they grew bacteria on a Petri dish and uh, that when they added the nitric oxide, um, the research said that uh, the nitric oxide had 10 times the bacterial, uh, bactericidal uh, potency than, that uh, than what was necessary to kill the bacteria. It was 10 times more potent than it had to be to kill the bacteria. That's the only information I can give you on that. Okay, very good. As right, so you continue on, so when they come... When, when a surgery is done, you said they'll ablate tissue. So we're, we're, we're not just talking about the nose. We're talking about the, the area, I guess, under the eye sockets on the left and the right side of the nose. That's the lateral no, sinus no, no, you're talking no, about? No, no. no. Yep. The, the okay. ENT is doing the surgery in the nose. He does. They will open up, open up, uh, let's say, into the ethmoid sinus. And they open up into the maxillary sinus because remember, I told you there were little tiny openings. So when the surgeon goes in there, he blasts everything out. So there's, there's no longer little tiny openings. He makes it really big. So um, it's quite dramatic, uh, the surgery that is done in the nose um, when folks, uh, unfortunately, are in this, uh, this uh, state of affairs. But... Um, um, the reason I'm knowledgeable about this is because um, one of the things I do is, um, uh, well, the main thing I do is develop the maxilla. What I've learned how to do is grow the maxilla, the upper jaw. So when I grow the upper jaw, those uh, sinus openings become larger. And literally, I have shown uh, many times that I can shrink the polypoid tissue. I actually get it to shrink. Uh, in the sinuses, and I do a demonstration, you know, patient uh, cranial scans, and I show uh, we've actually eliminated polyps in, in some patients. Um, so it, it is a reversible situation. And uh, the key to breathing is always comes down to, um, well, uh, several things. Um, breathing comes down to um, the ability to breathe through the nose and not the mouth because you are right on the money. When you said when your nose got stuffed up and you had a terrible night's sleep and your mouth was dry, when you can't breathe through your nose and you breathe through your mouth, uh, you're bypassing this natural defense system. 
In order for the defense system that the body created to work, you have to breathe through your nose. And when you breathe through your mouth, you're actually not getting any nitric oxide into your system, which is a potent vasodilator. When you, uh, the, the correct breathing through the nose, the nitric oxide, as we indicated, um, all the sinuses open into the nose. So the nitric oxide pools in the back of the nose. And when you breathe slowly uh, through your nose, you're sending that nitric oxide deep into your lungs. It's a vasodilator and it protects your cardiovascular system. Um, and also, um, it also dilates the capillaries upstairs around in your brain. So when you breathe properly through your nose, just take five nice, slow, deep breaths through your nose, you might feel your head clearing up and you might feel uh, a little crisper and sharper. Um, and people say, well, I know, I'm just getting more oxygen. But actually, the oxygen level in your blood has not changed. What's changed is the capillary dilation that allows the oxygen to reach the tissue. Nitric oxide is a very potent, it's actually a three gas system uh, that we function under, carbon dioxide, oxygen, and nitric oxide. I don't want to go into it great length. Um, okay. There are other well, things. Um, quick yeah. question here. If someone gets oxygen therapy, you know, they're sitting there with a mask over their face, are they just getting oxygen or would it, might it be smarter to give them oxygen, some nitric oxide as well? As a, is there a therapy like that where people will sit there and breathe, you know, through a nose or mouth cannula, uh, some nitric oxide along with the oxygen? Well, well, first of all, um, when you have a mask on your face, um, unless it's designed specifically, sometimes they do that with carbon dioxide, but you're just getting air, regular air blown down to keep the airway open. And um, nitric oxide um, is a very, it's a very complex physiologic system. It's, you know, uh, it's not a mechanical system. It's a quantum system. In other words, there are three genes that produce nitric oxide and uh, INOS, ENOS, and uh, NNOS. And uh, that produces nitric oxide synthase. And then when you eat your green leafy, leafy vegetables, you end up with nitric oxide. So there's nitric oxide for the epithelial lining in the blood vessel, there's nitric oxide uh, for, the, uh, uh, for the brain, and there's also uh, INOS, um, which is the nitric oxide, uh, which is part of that uh, first line of defense in our sinuses. Um, so um, it's a very complex physiologic system. It's not something you can just pump into somebody's body. Um, and it's not my understanding that that's the way it works. Okay, a, a couple more nose questions here, if you would. Yeah. Um, and I, again, I, I just can ask about my own experience. So um, I tend to have one nostril that's open much more often than the other. What does that mean? Or um, sometimes I've noticed that I'll have one nostril that's clear and it'll switch at a certain time of day or night. My left will be open and then the right will be open instead. Any knowledge there on what might be going on? Oh, certainly. Um, uh, the body is so clever. Uh, if we breathe through both nostrils all the time at the same time, uh, we would dry out the mucous membranes that are in there to warm and moisten the air. For example, the turbinates, the air goes in the nose, it goes around the inferior and medial turbinate, gets warmed and moistened. 
But if we, we were breathing all the time, we would dry that out. So what the body does, it allows, it, uh, it shrinks the turbinates on one side. So you're, let's say it shrinks the turbinate on the right side, and then you're breathing more through your left nostril. And then it shrinks the turbinates on your left side. So you're breathing more on your right nostril. But the issue is, unfortunately today, with our lack of craniofacial development, very often one side of our face is less developed. And one side of our face is less developed we, we very often can have a much smaller external nasal valve. Now, without going into the anatomy and all that, it just means it's always going to be hard for you to breathe through that one side. And that's not a good thing. Because by the way, when you breathe through your right nostril, you're activating your left brain. And when you breathe through your left nostril, you're activating your right brain. And I think we don't want to activate really? your entire brain. <laughs> Actually, here's a weird question. Um, has anyone ever looked to see if left-handed or right-handed people have a preferred nostril that they breathe through? Um, now you're getting into um, something that's uh, actually quite interesting. Um, you see, actually, the whole body, um, I, I'm going to make the statements, uh, you know, some statements here that I don't know that um, the research out there um, is necessarily going to support me, but I do my own personal research and I have 19 years of experience. So, um, but the whole body is really affected by how we breathe uh, through our nasal and pharyngeal airways. Um, and the whole body um, is affected about, uh, on how we are developed in our facial, craniofacial region. It's, it's the whole story. The development in the craniofacial region, which is breathing, chewing, and swallowing, and uh, the symmetry or lack of symmetry is the whole story in relation to the entire body. So now you ask me about right-handed and left-handed. Well, let's just look at one simple thing. The head sits on the vertebrae with two little legs, actually, two projections uh, which are known as the occipital condyles. Now, unfortunately, many of us, we have a short leg and a long leg. In other words, we're underdeveloped on one side, let's say the left side, and then your occipital condyle is shorter on the left side, so your head has a tendency to tilt to the left side. I mean, you've spoken to a lot of people when they're looking at you, their head is tilted. Uh, well, they have that problem. Mm. So what happens to folks like that, their best supporting side is the opposite side. So somebody who has a, uh, a, a short uh, occipital condyle on the left side uses the right side of their body mainly for support. So actually kinesiologists can test this in a minute. Um, you know, when the body is out of line, kinesiology is all about testing to put it back in balance. So what I simply do is when um, I see somebody who is uh, left side under development, uh, I'll just break a tongue depressor in half, have them bite down on the left side with uh, the area of the second bicuspid and first molar, which now supports the left side, which never happens in their body. They're so twisted and uh, they're under cranial strain and this and that. And as soon as you do that, there's all kinds of kinesiologic tests to show that you've improved the body's balance without getting into great detail. 
So the right-handed business can very well be related to that. I, I just don't know, like I said, I, I never read any research uh, uh, to support it, but that's what I'm, uh, when I, the statements that I'm making to you are accurate in relation to um, how the body functions. Okay, I understand. So, so you're saying the body would preferentially um, shrink one of the turbinates during the day, so you'd breathe through part of the nose part of the day and then the other part the other day i mean you know do do healthy people have both nostrils open all day or does everyone have one that's preferential and then that switches throughout the day no healthy people uh it switches back and forth um so mm -hmm. healthy people um the tur you see the way it works is um those turbinates and you know, when you breathe up through your nose the air is supposed to go around the turbinate right so on one side of the turbinate swell, then the air is just going to go through the other side mainly. I mean, it goes through both sides, but one side becomes dominant and that alternates within a few hours. So it's back and forth all day long when you're healthy. Right, right. Okay. What, what have you noticed in people that have uh, chronically stuffy nose for months or years? I mean, they probably come to you at the point where they've had years of problems is my guess. But what uh, happens to them if they've had literally years of uh, chronic stuffy nose? Well, like I mentioned, uh, it just takes 12 weeks or more um, for the immune system to shift. So they've had compromised immune system. Um, and uh, and, and now, now we can really get deep. <laughs> um, so what happens to them, um, uh, this is partly government research. You know, when the government researched PTSD, they spent a billion dollars trying to figure out what causes PTSD. So some of this research is very good stuff. And what it's all about, you ask, you know, a person who's had this problem for a long time, uh, they have what the government would say, increased allostatic load. These things stress the body. Allostatic load is the stress on the body. So when you're not breathing properly, your body is under 24 hours of stress. When your cranial system is not developed properly uh, and your muscles are out of line, your body's under 24 hours of stress. So you take a misalignment of the head and an improper breathing system, which uh, with many desaturations, and uh, you're on your, all you need now is a toxin, according to the government, that's, that uh, is the formula, a toxin and then a trauma. That's the formula that uh, gives you central, something called central sensitization, which leads to fibromyalgia, um, uh, a host, including PTSD, a host of issues. So when you, when you ask me somebody who's got a stuffed nose for years and years, they are extremely compromised, unfortunately. But there's a no point that we can't improve their breathing. And, uh, and is there no point that we, we can't uh, improve their um, sphenoid position, uh, head posture, um, jaw position, and improve them? That's what I do. That's my job. Okay. And, um, and I and I show it uh, step by step to the patient um, using a lot of sophisticated technology today. We can show everything, show all of these things to you. So, all right. So question here, if, if I'm an adult and 
I have some kind of, uh, you know, poor morphology of my nose, my sinuses, my jaw, whatever it may be. Can you help me without surgery? Can you yes, move exactly. my bones slowly or is it just kids only? Well, actually, this is the 21st century. The medicine of the 21st century is supposed to be the body healing the body. So uh, the Surgeon General report, that's, that's what they talk about every year. So this is, uh, you know, the contemporary medicine is we know how to talk to the body now. We know how to talk to the genes. And pretty much we have a genetic potential that we haven't reached. Mainly it's the story we haven't reached our genetic potential. So what I do is signal the body to get the genes turned on that haven't been turned on to help us reach our genetic potential. I literally get the maxilla to grow. Um, I get the sphenoid to realign. I get the mandible to realign. And we get the head posture improved, which improve. And also I, what we haven't discussed, we haven't even touched on uh, you know, snoring and sleep apnea, but one of the biggest deals is, is toning the airway. So if you have any questions about <laughs> snoring and sleep apnea, shoot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I wanted uh, to get to that. So, right. Um, well, let's, let's start with snoring. I and mean, sleep apnea, I understand, you know, people will stop breathing in their sleep dozens of times, sometimes more. But what about snoring? Um, I know a lot of cultures actually think it's a good thing if someone snores. Oh, they're, they're sleeping really deeply. But what, what's literally happening when someone snores and what is that doing to them if they have that vibration of the tissue? Well, I'm so glad you asked that question because apparently there is a tremendous misunderstanding and there is a link between snoring and sleep apnea. Let me explain. They both have exactly the same cause. If you uh, read the white paper from the American Association for Orthodontists, uh, on sleep apnea, obstructive sleep apnea, OSA, uh, they will clearly tell you it's not the size of the airway, but, but the tone of the airway, uh, the collapsibility of the airway, which is what pre uh, predisposes us to sleep apnea. So what happens when we snore, when we're snoring, those are airways that are floppy and collapsible. That's why we get the vibration and the snoring. And that's exactly the same thing that happens in sleep apnea. In other words, these folks that are snoring are on their way to sleep apnea. And believe me, it gets worse. The first thing is your snoring, which tells us your airway tone, the, the tone in your pharyngeal airway, which is a muscular tube, is, is compromised. But when you snore, the vibration damages the nerve endings that, uh, that tone, that keep the smooth muscles of the airway nice and toned. So the more you snore, the more you uh, cause more collapsibility into your airway, and therefore you're on your way to sleep apnea. It's all linked. So, um, you know, I'm happy to have said that because uh, there's a tremendous misunderstanding out there about the significance uh, of snoring, and we all know how dangerous sleep apnea is. So you want to treat the snoring. But, you know, today um, they have provide mechanical um, uh, treatment for things like snoring. And 
remember I said, this is the 21st century and we want the body to heal the body. So actually there are myofunctional ways to tone the airway, particularly if you got a young person, um, they have tremendous potential of not having sleep apnea if we just tone up their airway. Now, what's the cause in the first place? I, you know, you're hearing it here, but not too many people really understand this. And you're not going to find it in the literature very often. But everything, right. everything is about breathing, swallowing, and chewing. So the real cause of why we go downhill, believe it or not, is we're not swallowing correctly. We're not chewing correctly and we're not swallowing correctly. What do I mean by that? When you swallow, when the back of the tongue rises up to where it's supposed to be, all the way up to the palate, it's toning the stylohyoid and mylohyoid muscles, which tone the base of the tongue. When you chew something hard, you're contracting the genioglossus muscle. So when you tone the genioglossus, the stylohyoid and mylohyoid muscles, you're toning the lower portion of the breathing tube of the airway. So how do you tone the upper portion? Well, the upper portion, the superior pharyngeal constrictor, uh, the uh, muscle, the cheeks, the buccinator muscle is actually attached through something called the pterygomandibular raphe to the superior pharyngeal constrictor. So when you're actively chewing and using all those muscles of your face and you're chewing properly, you're actually toning the superior portion of the airway. And then what's the icing on the cake? What really develops the airway is how we breathe and how we breathe through our nose. If we're breathing properly through our nose, that pressure that pressure of breathing through the nose helps to tone the airway. So I've given you multiple ways to tone your airway physiologically, naturally, holistically, not by sticking some appliance in your mouth that cranks your jaw forward. And this let, me, is let me restate this just very simply. So if uh, someone deliberately goes out of their way to eat hard foods or chewy foods that take effort you're saying that's, is, or are you saying, is that one way that they could tone their airway? Well, uh, unfortunately, it takes more than that since you've already missed your opportunity to develop correctly by chewing and swallowing correctly. But I, I've developed some uh, dental appliances. Now, the simplest one, um, basically, when you swallow, uh, because it has a unilateral bite block, um, your tongue has to rise up much, much more to swallow. In other words, if you're biting, the way we swallow is we bring our teeth together, then our tongue comes up to the roof of our mouth for swallowing. But if there's a bite block in there that raises the size of that space, the tongue now, the back of the tongue now must travel considerably more and help to tone that airway. So I have a daytime appliance, which you use in that fashion, and you do breathing exercises with. And I have a nighttime appliance, which automatically... The only way you can possibly swallow with that appliance in place is correctly by bringing your tongue flat up against your palate, including the back of the tongue, and it tones the airway. Automat it's what it's designed to do, tone the airway. That's what I specialize in. And I have very sophisticated software, which we can 
actually create an object map of your airway, show the volume of your airway before treatment and then after treatment. So these are the, this is exactly what I'm focused on and what I do. Oh, so interesting. Um, I, you know, I've also heard that people can, I guess, take singing lessons or play the didgeridoo or, Correct. you know, are there any, uh, you know, home remedies that you've seen and how effective are they? Well, yes, actually, there are a bunch of things you can do. Um, um, there are uh, breathing, resi- there's breathing resistance devices. If you do an hour a day, you know, if you don't play a musical instrument, so you, uh, there's something called a relaxator, relaxator manufactured in uh, Sweden, but you can order it on uh, Amazon and uh, you just breathe in through your nose and you breathe out. This is, you wrap your lips around it. And when you breathe out, it provides resistance and it expands your airways. So do that an hour a day and you're helping yourself tremendously. Uh, you know, if you take up the didgeridoo, that does the same thing. These are all extremely helpful. However, they're, they're only working while you're awake and it's only an hour a day. So I strongly suggest, um, you know, if somebody's interested and, and, and can access me, um, I, I have this appliance where automatically at night while you're sleeping, every time you swallow, you're toning your airway. So um, there's a lot to it. There's a lot to it. Uh, also, you need, um, as we pointed out, the epigenetic factor is really critical. In other words, uh, uh, we haven't reached our potential. So the appliance also activates or switches on genes that we haven't had switched on before. Uh, which allows uh, for growth and development physiologically realigns the jaw. And um, this is extremely important because all the exercises and musical instruments and the didgeridoo is not going to improve your head posture, but realigning your jaw, your mandible will improve your head posture and opening your airway will improve your head posture. So here's an interesting point for folks out there because I think they'll appreciate this. The way nature designed us as we evolved from, you know, knuckle walking is uh, so that our head is positioned. So our eyes, our vision is horizontal to the ground. We look to the horizon, horizontal to the ground. However, the way the body works is in order for us to maintain our balance, we keep a point, the point where the forehead meets the nose and the bony point tip of the chin vertical to the ground. I don't know if you follow that, but those two points, if you take your finger and put it on your forehead where your forehead meets your nose and put your finger on firmly on the tip of your chin, those two points, if you draw a line, that is vertical to the ground. That's our posture. So what happens is when your chin is set back, all of a sudden, that vertical line has to be compensated. So since your chin is set back, you now bring your head forward and your chin up to keep that point, those points vertical to the ground. You follow me? So that leads yeah, I, I, This one, one quick thing here. Um, I would encourage, I've done this. I, didn't, I, didn't, I couldn't imagine it until I did it. But if you Google, you know, for listeners, if they Google... Um, recessed jaw versus jaw forward and they look at images that's yeah. what when i really said oh now i see what it looks like if you have a recessed jaw or if you have a proper forward jaw so i just encourage listeners to do that and then it'll really uh, become apparent to them but good yeah so if the jaw is recessed we must 
unfortunately bring our, switch our head position. We, we bring our jaw forward. And when people look at us, they see a really nice profile. But in fact, if we put our heads back where they belong with our vision horizontal to the ground, we would know we had a recessed jaw. But what the effect of that head posture is horrendous because it causes a hyperlordosis in the cervical spine. People end up with uh, neck pain and headaches because of that. And uh, the reason is they have a, a recessed jaw. Now, we're adults. In children, you know, there's a lot the orthodontist can do uh, to, between the ages 7 and 10 uh, to bring the jaws forward permanently for children. But we're adults. So we, have, we, we can improve our head posture, but it's a slow process. It's a slow process of proper development of allowing the airway, and I, I'm telling you, I, I have cases where I improve airway volume, the pharyngeal airway volume by more than 200%. So once wow. you do that, once you do that, you change your head posture. Okay. Um, you said it takes time in an adult. Um, if you look at a kid, you know, seven to 10 years old, and you look at an adult, on average, how long could a therapeutic plan take, whether they're trying to do it themselves with some kind of remedy or they're working through your devices? Like on average, how long could people expect uh, an improvement to take? Well, I don't understand the question quite frankly. First of all, children... Um, they need they need um, orthotropics. Uh, they they would use the uh, bioblock uh, technology, where actually what happens is in children, they take the six front teeth. They use an appliance to uh, move them forward. They actually create a buck tooth appearance in the child, and then um, they bring the the lower jaw forward, and then they get the teeth to come into correct occlusion. But that can only be done when you're young. And that system, uh, you'd have to discuss with an expert on uh, orthotropics. Um, now, for, for adults, I don't understand the question either, because every single one of us is different. Well, and in a ballpark, if, if I'm going to use the you know, relaxator you mentioned, or if I'm going to use one of your well, uh, I don't appliances. Or, you know, I, I think the, rela the relaxator is not going to solve a problem. A, relaxa a relaxator is, you know, it's like saying, you know, I'm going to the gym and I'm going to get my body toned by doing curls. So I go to the gym and I do curls every day, but the rest of my body, nothing happens, but I get great biceps. So when you use the relaxator, it, it's only a small part of the issue. You need uh, a, a complete program for the entire airway and for the cranial facial development. It's a complete program, a protocol. You can't fix anything with just one little device. If that were the case, you wouldn't have any musicians, for example, uh, with sleep apnea. And that's not the, I mean, people who play wind instruments. That's not true. They, they, have, they develop a part of their airway, but they, and they still have major issues. You have to treat the, uh, you know, it's, it's a protocol that treat multifaceted protocol. Okay. So, you know, because I've seen like, uh, People talk about tongue exercises or mewing or, you know, so you're saying all these different things will work on part of your airway, but not the entire airway. Correct. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. As I pointed out, okay. um, and what's neglected, by the way, is the base of the tongue. 
And quite frankly, the young folks, uh, the ones that uh, feel tired in the morning and they don't have sleep apnea, they don't, they're tested, you know, they don't have sleep apnea. Well, doc, why do I feel tired in the morning? Because the, the fact is that in a young person, it just takes a little bit of uh, compromise at the base of the tongue in the airway, which is what we see all the time. And what happens, the body freaks out because you've got like a hair trigger when you're young and the body sends adrenaline or epinephrine into the blood because the body thinks you're going to suffocate as soon as, you know, your, your oxygen desaturates just a little tiny bit. Um, and it takes you from deep sleep to light sleep all night long. And so those folks, uh, you know, uh, maybe those folks, you would just design a protocol to just treat the base of the tongue because some of them have the most beautiful airways you've ever seen. And they, and they apparently, they're thin, they have great development, but they still have a terrible night's sleep. So there you focus on one portion. But then you have uh, the folks who are unfortunately very common today where both the upper and lower jaw are, are not developed properly, fully developed. And they are uh, in the horizontal way. So both the upper jaw and the mandible are, are back, are shrunk back. And then there's no room for the tongue. And where does the tongue go? Down the throat. So now you have a real challenge because you can't bring the upper jaw forward without surgery. However, if that person has severe apnea, the only treatment is a surgical repositioning of the upper jaw forward. However, um, you can get decent results for uh, folks that have um, uh, both the upper and lower jaw retreated because they have potential genetically to improve their circumstance. And they improve okay. their cir circumstance by toning the airway. Toning, it's not the size of the airway. It's the tone of the airway. It's in, it's in the American Association for Orthodontist White Paper on Obstructive Sleep Apnea. This is what we really understand today, despite the fact that it's ignored by most practitioners who want to just make your airway bigger. So what are the, the key things that need to happen in order to properly evaluate someone that is experiencing sleep problems? Oh, this is a wonderful question. Um, I've been working for years on how to evaluate um, these folks, and um, we have extremely, extremely good way to do that. And uh, the reason is uh, the portion uh, that we uh, developed by the age 10, uh, known as uh, the base of cranium or the cranial base where the brain sits, um, this is uh, genetic. You've inherited that from your parents. There's also something called a cranial base angle, which determines where your jaw position is based on that angle. So we look first at the cranial base angle. Then we look at the length of the cranial base because the cranial, the body is designed, we're designed ultimately, ideally to be like blockheads. In other words, uh, the length of the cranial base is the same as the width between the mastoid process and the back of the skull, which is the same as the face height uh, from what we call nasion to the B point. I can't explain that, you know, order, order, just through audio and the length of the jaw from articulaire to the B point. All of these should be equal numbers. So when we do the measurements and we see, for example, that you have a very short face, those are my favorite patients to treat. So very often the only problem they have is they have a short face from under their nose to the tip of their chin. 
So if they're wearing a, an appliance that opens that space and makes more room for the tongue, they do amazingly well. Uh, the folks that have really retruded jaws or they have their maxilla and mandible set back are much more of a challenge. So, so an adult could wear possibly a, uh, an appliance and allow their lower jaw to come forward somehow and open up their airway? Is that possible? Um, well, well, um, the actually, well, the, the short answer is an appliance can let the lower jaw come forward. However, the a distance that it comes downward and forward is somewhere between one and maybe the most three millimeters, between one and three millimeters. Now that's very small. So it's not something that's noticeable, particularly to the eye. However, according to the research at Stanford, um, that is huge in how we breathe. So uh, what we can do with an adult is we can develop the maxilla, free up the mandible, and allow the mandible uh, to increase vertical height and to come downward and forward. That we can do. It takes uh, anywhere from one to two years of treatment. It's not overnight. And um, that's basically what I do. I get anywhere from one to three millimeters of downward and forward movement of the mandible, which creates a tremendous difference along with toning the airway. And this changes the head posture, uh, the tone of the airway improves the breathing. And, uh, and by the way, um, um, the really interesting relationship is with these folks that don't have apnea, but just some airway resistance, um, there's a lot of things that are not clearly understood. Uh, airway resistance in young people produces much more profound effects than a severe, moderate to severe obstructive sleep apnea when it comes to certain things. Number one, sleep onset insomnia, upper airway resistance uh, is a bigger contributor to that. Yeah. Irritable bowel syndrome, um, a big contributor to that. Uh, alpha reduction of alpha delta sleep, a bigger contributor to that. And bruxism, tooth clenching and grinding, upper airway resistance is a much greater contributor than sleep apnea. The interesting thing about sleep apnea is in between apneic events, these folks very often get some deep sleep. They get some delta sleep. It's amazing. And then they, then they, you know, uh, all of a sudden, they uh, their airway collapses, and uh, when when their muscles collapse, the airway collapses, and they wake up. But then they go back to sleep again. So there's something called cycling time, the distance between those events. In upper airway resistance, we end up with less cycling time. We have more events. These are young people with their bodies a hair trigger. They don't get any rest. They don't know it because they're young. They just think they're invincible but their body is being devastated by this. So when you improve upper airway resistance, you're improving stable sleep. It's the key to everything. So if you can improve stable sleep for young people, you've done them an enormous service. And that can be done by using the toning of the muscular systems that we're talking about. Okay. Well, we're, we're close to being uh, out of time since you were yeah. a specialist in helping people tone their airways. What are some resources for people that are experiencing sleep problems? Like, where can they go? You know, do you have a website or how can they get in contact and get help? Uh, well, right now I have a website that's been around quite some time. It has a list of doctors that um, use my treatment. 
It's called www.facialdevelopment, uh, one word, facialdevelopment.com. But I have to tell you, in uh, the best place to go ultimately in a few months, uh, we have a company called Advanced Facial Dontics. So uh, advancedfacialdontics.com will be our new website where um, we're going to, we're really building uh, an exceptional website and it's the new one. So it has the new information. Uh, the facial development website, um, unfortunately, hasn't been updated, but there are doctors uh, list. If you find a doctor, there's a tab for find a doctor. And um, in there, you're going to find uh, doctors that um, can provide this kind of treatment. Okay. Well, Ted, it's been a good call. Every time I talk to you, I think that uh, we'll just discuss a few things. And then you, you hit me up with, with millions of more things to discuss. But each time it's great. And I learn a lot. And I think listeners will too. So I just want to thank you for coming back. I appreciate it. Uh, it's my pleasure. Anytime. I, you know, I, anytime. I always have new information for you, by the way. <laughs> Excellent. You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials, or even starting to appear on shelves, or by prescription, or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you.